Hello, listeners. This podcast is hosted by International Idea. In the next minutes, we will help you make sense of what's happening today in democracy worldwide. Hello, welcome to Democracy Ideas, the podcast run by the International Institute for Democracy and Electoral Assistance. My name is Alistair Scrutton. Today is the launch of the 2022 Global State of Democracy, and I'm with the Head of Democracy Assessment at the Institute and editor of the report, Seema Shah. Welcome. Thank you. So today we have this uh, large report, um, and I guess we'd start by, if you could try and explain what are the main findings uh, of the report this year. So I would characterize the main findings to be that democracy is in decline or in stagnation at the same time that support for authoritarian values is on the rise. And even in relatively strong democracies, we see worrying declines in the quality of democratic institutions and democratic practice. And I see that the report talks uh, about the number of backsliding countries, those, what we say, backsliding meaning the most severe democratic erosion, is at its peak. Uh, Who are these countries and, and why is this happening? So at IDEA, we define backsliding to be a particularly um, significant decline in three different areas. One is checks on government, one is civil liberties, and one is clean elections. So you have to be declining on those um, over a five-year period to be considered backsliding. This year we have seven backsliders. They are the United States, El Salvador, Mauritius, Hungary, Poland, Brazil, and India. And so what you'll see is a different mix, uh, depending on the country, of these of problems with clean elections, checks on government, and civil liberties declining. And why is this happening, do you think? What, what are the motives for this kind of erosion that we're seeing? I mean, that's a, that's a really difficult question. It, it depends a lot on the context, but um, what we're seeing in many, uh, many governments around the world is that there is a desire to suppress certain kinds of speech and dissent, and that's where you see declines in civil liberties, especially in the freedom of expression. Some of this is also um, the fact that that countries were experienced significant restrictions on freedom of movement during the pandemic, and the after effects of that are still being felt. So, um, so that's a continuing problem. And we also see problems with clean elections in the sense that, um, you know, remember that elections are an entire cycle. They're not just election day, but there's a lot of activities happening before and after election day that contribute to a clean election. So when you have problems with political parties being free to operate, to campaign, um, opposition parties especially. You can have a decline uh, in clean elections. You can, <clears throat> if there are problems with voter registration or with the suppression um, of the right to vote, especially impacting marginalized communities, that we see um, even in established democracies, you can have backsliding as a result of that. In the United States, one of the big drivers of backsliding was um, a decline in effective parliament. So what that means is that the legislature didn't have um, the freedom or the agency to check the executive um, in the U.S. And I guess one of the other really interesting parts that struck me in the report was 
Um, it talks about the troubling patterns, even in countries uh, performing at the middle to high levels of democratic standards. And um, perhaps you could just tell us, you know, what do we mean by middle to high levels of democratic standards, and what sectors are we talking about that are in decline, um, and what countries or regions um, kind of highlight this problem? So when we say middle to high range performance, what that means is, um, I mean, we have uh, we we. S- you can, the, there's a quantitative assessment of how a country is doing based on um, an aggregation and estimation of 116 indicators of democracy every year. And so based on the scores um, that that aggregation produces, um, then countries are divided, uh, democracies are divided into weak democracies, mid-range performing democracies, and high performing democracies. So there's a threshold, a numerical threshold you have to meet for each of those classifications. Um, And what we're seeing is that uh, the rate of erosion, so when we say erosion, we mean that there's significant decline in at least one of our measures of democracy. That um, is astronomical. A decade ago, the number of eroding democracies was 12. This year, it's 52. So that's an increase of over 300% over a decade. And and it can be... um, it can be across a wide range of things. And so in some countries, we see erosion happening in just one or two areas. But this year, we've seen um, erosion happening uh, across seven or eight measures in certain cases. And we're, 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 what regions do we say? Is, it, is this, are we talking when we say middle to, you know, to high established democracies? Is this what we would see generally called the West, like the European kind of nations? Or what, what are we, where are we talking about? I mean, you find middle and high-range performing democracies all over the world. In, of course, in in Europe, in North America, in Latin America, in Asia, um, in Africa, everywhere. So um, I wouldn't say it's regionally concentrated. What I would say is that across the board, you see democracies struggling to address things like disinformation and the rise of anti-system parties without undermining fundamental rights. That seems to be a big challenge can also see on the horizon, or in fact already now, um, democracies struggling to address the threat of climate change without tackling social group equality. So what we see is that climate change impacts marginalized communities disproportionately, which is related to um, sort of systematic inequality that puts those communities in the position of being marginalized in the first place. So you have to address those underlying inequalities if you want to... um, comprehensively address the impact of climate change. And that seems to be a struggle as well for democracies. Uh, the, the geocity indices show um, on the side of authoritarian regimes, right, are actually deepening their repression. Mm-hmm. And it says 2021 is the worst year on record. Uh, what countries are we talking about here? And, and what are the ways that they're kind of deepening their, ref- their repression? So, again, we see... Um, over the last decade, a steady rise in the number of authoritarian regimes. So this year we have 49. Uh, I believe a decade ago it was approximately 41. And the clearest examples um, of deepening uh, authoritarianism are seen in places like Myanmar and Afghanistan, but also in Russia, especially with the crackdown on freedom of expression and media integrity in Russia following the uh, invasion of Ukraine. But we also see countries like Nicaragua, Comoros, Cambodia um, tightening repression in their regimes, in their countries. 
So in um, Nicaragua, we see um, a lot of um, uh, repression um, for uh, repression of freedom of expression in the church um, and in the NGO sector. So I believe there, so far, there's um, the statistics in Nicaragua show 1,400 NGOs shut down um, based on trumped-up charges. Um, essentially, the regime wanting to crack down on dissent. And it, with the church, we're just talking about what we're talking about priests or or ex church leaders being arrested, exactly. harassed. Exactly. Yeah. Moving on to just the issue of uh, gender equality, which is obviously key, right, to the quality of democracy. Uh, how are we doing this year? We're not doing very differently from how we did last year. What, what the data shows is that gender equality increased um, significantly from about 1975 to 2000. But since 2000, things have really stagnated. So... Um, this is the case at the global level, but even at the regional and sub-regional levels, we haven't seen changes, any big changes since 2000. So while things ne haven't necessarily gotten worse, they haven't gotten that much better either. Um, so that's concerning. Uh, but what we do see outside of the quantitative data is this groundswell of um, movement and demand and action um, in the area of reproductive rights. So outside of the U.S., um, which is a, a sort of negative case of restriction of rights, um, in other countries we see expansion. So Finland and, the, and India come to mind immediately. But also lesser-known cases include Sierra Leone, where there's a bill to expand abortion rights, DRC, where they, the government has approved a set of standards and guidelines for abortion care, including empowering doctors and midwives and nurses to perform um, the required uh, interventions. And even in Benin, Parliament voted to legalize abortion in most circumstances. So you, s you see this everywhere in Latin America. Um, there was uh, what's known as the green wave demanding more reproductive rights from women. Uh, so you see it all over the world. And so even though that not that's not necessarily reflected yet in our quantitative data. Um, it's a hopeful sign. Um, the report paints a generally very bleak picture um, about democracy around the world. But do you see signs, um, or does the report see signs of optimism uh, that we should uh, take advantage of? Yeah, absolutely. So the report points out countries like Moldova in Europe, which have... Um, expanded, where the indicators of democracy have really expanded in the past several years. Um, the Gambia in sub-Saharan Africa and Zambia in sub-Saharan Africa are also really standout examples. The Gambia, in particular, um, if you look over the last five years, their, um, their performance on several of our measures of democracy has really significantly grown. And the new regime seems um, dedicated to kind of addressing the unresolved grievances from the former regime, um, which I think will be key to the legitimacy of this new regime. That's what people are demanding. They want justice for all the things that they suffered under the previous ruler. Um, and they seem committed to doing that. There's a Truth um, Reconciliation Reparations Commission, which has just put forth uh, a bunch of recommendations for the government to act on. And what do we see signs of that that kind of positive change in countries uh, that, that, for example, in Latin America, um, Asia? 
Um, I think in Latin America, the the example that we keep coming back to is Chile, and that's because the process um, that they embarked on to reform their constitution is so emblematic of what organizations and publics should be doing. They should be coming together to talk about the things that have concerned them and the things that they really think need to change in order for them to be able to live the kinds of lives they want to live and pursue the goals they want to pursue. And even though the draft text of the new constitution was rejected by a public referendum, the fact that the government is still committed to keeping those conversations going and developing a new text is a sign that um, they, they have faith in the process. And the process has also been so inclusive, um, as you know, including unprecedented numbers of women and members of indigenous communities, um, that even though the draft text was rejected, it's the fact that they're committed to the process, they're going to go back to the table and talk again. That's exactly what we should be doing. And it's all about democracy, rejecting things exactly. as much as passing yes. things. It's absolutely true. Uh, I guess, well, the, obviously the, the report is also a lot about the need for new social contracts. Now, it's a term social contracts that sometimes is, is not really clearly understandable. Could you perhaps explain, firstly, you know, what social contracts are? Social contracts are implicit agreements between the government and the people that they govern on basically what each owes each other. So the people pay taxes, and in return, they are supposed to get um, a certain measure of security, stability, and opportunity. And so traditionally, that's meant that basically we pay taxes and we agree to abide by laws and respect the authority of the government in exchange for things like um, social security and unemployment benefits and uh, education and health care. That's how it's traditionally thought of. What we're arguing in the report is that though that idea of social contract needs to be updated to respond to the new needs people have. So, for example, um, some experts say that, uh, you know, universal free education, of course, that's a good thing. We should all want that. But now states are expected to go beyond that because um, people change career paths much more frequently than they ever did before. So instead of committing yourself to um, universal education for children and for young, um, young people, you should also be committed to designing adult education options for people that want to invest in a new set of skills mid-career. Education is not thought of anymore as ending when you graduate from university. Those options should be open to you well into adulthood. That's in theory. So what in practice, what are the kind of new social contracts that we're seeing that are actually being forged in, you know, in the real world? So one example um, is in Malaysia and Belgium. Where both countries lowered the voting age recently. So in Malaysia, they lowered it from 21 to 18. And in Belgium, it's for the European parliamentary elections. They lowered it from 18 to 16, um, which allows youth to be able to participate in, in elections much earlier. Um, and that is in direct response to a demand from youth to, who wanted to participate in elections earlier because they wanted that to have that voice. So that's one small-ish example. Another example um, is in Germany where you have um, a recent um, minister of state visiting, I believe it was Cameroon, where she talked about 
uh, the country's past and its legacy of being a colonial um, ruler and how there needs to be sort of some level of accountability for what happened. Um, and that speech was seen very favorably, especially because it comes on the heels of another discussion where um, Germany is accused of, of being involved in a genocide um, of certain groups in Namibia. And there was a discussion about um, reparations being paid, and it didn't go so well, that discussion. And so this speech by the Minister of State in Cameroon was seen as a positive sign that they want to confront that legacy. But what will be important to watch is how that translates into discussions about racism inside Germany, because that's also been something that has been uh, a flashpoint and, and needs to be addressed. I guess also like one example of perhaps a renewed um, international, so at least a recognition of, of social contract internationally, was at the um, environmental conference at mm -hmm. Sheikh at uh, the COP27, where there was this landmark um, deal or, or agreement to move forward with a loss and damage fund to help developing countries or poorer countries with the damage caused by the carbon emissions of wealthier countries, which okay. I guess is a kind of recognition of a need of a, you know, a global social contract between the wealthy industrialized nations and the developing poorer nations. Absolutely. I think that's where we're going next with social contracts, is thinking about it at the supranational level, not just for climate change, but even for other things like global inequality, financially, um, the allegations of marginalization and racism in international fora at the UN, at the World Bank. Um, I think these things are going to be more and more of an issue going forward. Yeah, and calls, for example, to reform the financial mechanisms of the IMF and, and exactly. uh, the World Bank. Yeah. Well, perhaps that will be the, the uh, content of the next 2023 Maybe. Global Democracy Report. Maybe. Uh, the report is, um, you can download it from our website and uh, today, from yes. today. Yes. So please reach out. It's also be broad, it will be linked on our social media. It's a really good report. Thanks very much, uh, Seema, for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Democracy Ideas podcast. Keep following International Idea on social media. We need all of you to participate in constructing better societies. Goodbye. <laughs>